Hello, friends, and welcome back to Pierre Pressure Podcast. I'm your host, Pierre Dugayan. This is a show where I talk to musicians and gently Pierre Pressure them into talking about politics. I'm so happy to be back to Pierre Pressure after a brief hiatus. In all honesty, I was tired of talking and thinking about politics. But now I am so happy that we're back and we're starting things off with the one and only Mike Watt. I started this show in 2018 out of an intense need to speak out in the face of what I saw as the deterioration of democracy and of common sense that was happening all around me. As a musician who's been performing, recording, and touring for decades, I've met some really interesting people through the years, and it's been great to talk to them about what the role of politics plays in their creative output. Sometimes it's just under the surface or not political at all, seemingly, but I think that musical expression always carries the philosophy of the musician, even in ways that are not overt. Sometimes it just takes the form of the way musicians conduct business, the way they interact with other people, and the way they live their lives. For my part, I've often attempted to explicitly speak truth to power with my lyrics, and I've always been inspired by those who set an example with their lyrics, with their actions, or with the way they choose to be a musician. When I moved to the United States from France, I was a seven-year-old little French boy. I thought I was moving to the land of cowboys and Indians because that's what I had seen on TV. I decided I wanted to be a cowboy, so I dressed like one on the plane so I'd be accepted when I arrived. Many, many years later, after being exposed to the music and philosophy of bands like The Minutemen, I realized that actually I was on the side of the Indians, as we used to call them back then. The ones who fight against the abuses of the empire are the basis for all resistance movements, including the one originally called punk rock. My guest on today's show, legendary bassist Mike Watt, has embodied this spirit through his words and music and actions for the last four decades. Mike Watt, with his two friends George Hurley and Dee Boone, started the Minutemen in 1980 in San Pedro, California. They were a huge part of the Southern California punk scene, recording on the SST label founded by Greg Ginn from Black Flag and touring relentlessly on the DIY circuit that laid the groundwork for generations of bands. From the first time I heard the Minutemen's music, they struck me as completely different from anything I'd ever heard. Not only did they shout out clear and courageous and historically accurate messages about corporate greed, the hypocrisy and unjust policies of the U.S. government, fascism, and racism, they also made the weirdest, grooviest, most intelligent and well-crafted punk music I'd ever heard. And it sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before or since. Not to mention the songs of the Minutemen, while being powerful, angry, and politically right on the nose, were also hilarious when they needed to be, which is another reason why, from the first minute I heard them, I was hooked. As I'll explain in this interview, I was fortunate enough to see the Minutemen live when I was only 13 years old, thanks to the guidance of my older friend Pat Feller, who opened my eyes to some great music at the time. 
That experience changed me forever. It informed my concept of moral courage as embodied in the anti-corporate, anti-war, anti-propaganda message of Mike Watt, D. Boone, and George Hurley, the three members of the Minutemen. That encounter with the Minutemen also showed me that original musical expression could come in any form and that political music was cool. Tragically, the Minutemen's lead singer and guitar player, D. Boone, died in an auto accident in 1985, ending the band's tenure. Mike Watt went on to form the amazing band Firehose. He also went on to play with just about every rock and punk luminary you could possibly imagine. With his solo projects and with his collaborations, he made three rock operas with his band The Second Men and The Missing Men. He's shared stages with Porno for Pyros, Jay Maskus, Iggy Pop, Eddie Vedder, Frank Black, Dave Grohl, John Frusciante, Steve Perkins, and on and on and on. He also has an ongoing bass duo collaboration with Kira Rossler, the former bass player of Black Flag. Do yourself a favor and do a deep dive on the incredible body of work of Mike Watt. You also have to check out The Watt from Pedro Show, where Mike Watt interviews musicians and plays all kinds of interesting and eclectic music that he's dug up throughout the years. I got in touch with Mike Watt after I found out he had played some of my music on his show. He generously agreed to do the interview as long as we didn't mention the P word. At first, I thought the P word was politics. I spent a few confused moments where I wondered how I was going to interview Mike Watt and not talk about politics. Then he kindly explained that the P word was the word that people use for their shows that they put on the air that actually refers to a device that was made by a very large computer manufacturing company and that it no longer exists. It's actually a word I have in the name of my show. It's the word that comes after peer Peer pressure. pressure, pressure, pressure. And I understand why Mike Watt hates it, because it is actually shilling for a product that no longer exists for a company that's not going to give us anything back for using it. So this is just part of what makes Mike Watt so cool and so special, is that he really cares about this stuff. He cares about where the money comes from and where it flows and who controls everything. He's hardcore about this stuff, and he's not going to give up, and he's not going to just roll over for anybody. So... It was such an honor and such a pleasure to have a conversation with the great Mike Watt. A word war will set off the keg. My words are war. Should a word have two meanings? What the fuck for? Should words serve the truth? See, it rained here last night. Okay. And AT&T are motherfuckers. They don't maintain their phone lines. So okay. there might be some dropouts. If there is, I'll just try to reconnect. Just be patient. Okay, this no happens problem. when it rains. These assholes, and I, and I, you know, fifty years of Cold War. I can't go to another company because of free enterprise. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, where I live, I live in the mountains in uh, upstate New York, and any 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 weather at all completely knocks us out. So yeah, because they don't weatherproof their fucking line. You know, because most of uh, People use leashes now. They don't use use landlines, so they don't fucking... Yeah, anyway, let's anyway. get on to the show here. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Man, it's so nice to talk to you. I wanted to start by just saying, I um, I don't know if you remember, in 94, um, I was a college student, or 93, and my friend Nathan 93 Wilson, is the last year of Firehose. Last year of Firehose, so it would have been 93 then, and my friend Nathan Wilson contacted you and made a student film um about d boone and we went to your house in pedro and we hung out with you all day yeah on 23rd street and gaffey 
I remember. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. I had like a trash can thrown out front of my apartment. That's I don't know right. if you remember that, but yeah, some cat <laughs> gave me that that he made. I kind of, I, okay. I, 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 I kind of do. I cut, not exactly. I mean, it's a long time ago. I was there with my friend Paolo, the two of us, and this guy Nathan, and we made this real student version of of this documentary about you. You drove us around. You were kind yeah. enough to show us. Gave you a tour of town. Yeah where you met D Boone and then afterwards and we went to where we George's started house. the Minuteman where we played that gig with Black Flag yeah yeah it was just totally mind blowing and it was so cool of you to be generous with your time with a couple of you know some kids from San Diego and uh, then to top it off, we got to watch Firehose rehearse in your in your space there in uh practice in the at Angels Gate. I'm still there. I'm the oldest leaseholder now, 37 That's years. That's so cool. Okay, I was gonna ask because I saw a video of you recently demoing some pedals for a Japanese guy, and I thought that looks like the same space. And I think it was right. It was the uh, officer's head. Yeah, I've only I had one place a little bit at first in a magazine but some war freak wanted to turn that into a fucking museum so I got the officer's head and I tore out the shitters and I made my prax pad out of that if you remember nice. it was long and narrow it was yeah is it the same one 37 years actually oh, that's wow. like about 7 years into it wow amazing yeah we watched you rehearse with uh, with Ed and George it was just a complete head explosion. yeah I think it's the last year of Firehose <laughs> So um, I wanted to ask you uh, some stuff about the Minutemen um, to start off. To me, it's mind blowing that a band like you guys in you know early '80s decided to be so overtly political, and the lyrics were just really explicitly political, and you know referenced history and what was going on with the power systems around you. And I'm just so curious how a bunch of kids decide this is what they're going to, I mean, not kids, you were in early twenties, but what decide yeah, we this started is how you're when we were 22. Have you seen this documentary Keith Sheeran and Tim Irwin made called We Jam Econo? Yeah, I did see it. Yeah. Those client talks about this. Yeah. I don't remember D Boone really explaining it, but he had it right on the head. D Boone thought the lyrics was just thinking out loud. He thought the political thing about the Minuteman because we come from arena rock, you know. So he thought bringing up the drums and the bass up and making the guitar kind of less dominant, taking cues from R&B with treble and clip playing. Yeah, more of a equal partnership in the power trio. That's what he thought was the political move. He thought the lyrics was just thinking out loud. And, you know, we didn't know what words were for at first. When we were first, when I met D. Boone, the only rock band he knew was Creedence. You know, we thought words in the song was like lead guitar, it was just part of the music. Except Bob Dylan, he seemed strange. He seemed like Thanksgiving with the weird uncle muttering shit. <laughs> And so then we see the 
Well, I was telling you, Arena Rock, right? The first gig we saw was T-Rex, 1973 yeah. or 14 years old, Long Beach Auditorium. We didn't know about club music till the movement. So when we get exposed to the movement and see it in clubs, you know, besides being close enough to see the bass had big strings, <laughs> that's why there's <laughs> only four. Yeah, I had no idea. You were so right. fucking far away, you know. But the, the yeah. idea of the, using music as a way to express yourself. See, I got into music to be with D. Boone, just be with him. I never thought of mu a music having a, a means to itself, like you had some kind of feelings you wanted to get out. And we we, we, we figured out that, the, the you know, seeing these bands, our first uh, gigs, I suppose punk, punk movement of Hollywood, like that's that was really earnest to these cats. It wasn't yeah. just about uh, doing music together. It was about trying to express yourself. And like words was part of it. Let the products sell themselves. Fuck advertising, commercial psychology, psychological methods to sell should be destroyed. Because of their own blind involvement in their own conditioned minds. Me and the boom were growing up in the 60s right i'm born in 1957 him six months later and yeah. so we're boys during the free speech and civil rights and anti-war but mm. we ain't old enough really to make sense of it so when it comes our turn it just happens to be at the same time we get exposed to this movement also you know the way rock and roll had turned into this kind of nuremberg rally thing you know with arena rock it, yeah. it, it kind of yeah. lost its way in a way. It, it just was kind of a perfect storm. And so we just thought we were taking up, you know, the tradition that was already kind of laid down and trying to make it for our, our times. We weren't trying to be hippies or anything, but we were. Uh, there was some good things about, especially when they had the humor thing. We were, uh, are you aware of this movement in the 60s called Discordians? Discordians? No, I'm not. What is that? Yeah, the Discordians. Greg Hill, Carrie Thornley, they came up with this, uh, I guess you'd call it a religion or some kind of wow. uh, set of beliefs, you know. Uh, Eris, she's the goddess of chaos going back to Greek days. Yeah. And these cats in a bowling alley in Whittier, yeah, where Dick Nixon went to law school, he, they come up with this idea called Discordianism, and uh, they end up collaborating with people. This is before the internet, right? This is the late six, the 50s and early 60s, using mimeograph machines and mailing things. This is where Tommy Pynchon gets the idea for his uh, crying a lot, 43 and shit, and the conspiracy and the postage stamp and that shit. Because that's okay. what these cats, and that's one of the main things, is just making fun of all kinds of order. And yeah. also conspiracies against order, with chaos, whatever the fuck. We were, uh, they come up with a work called the Principia Discordia. In fact, I got a version of it at mikewatt.com, my hoot page. Because okay. they renounced all copyrights, and we were really influenced by these cats. Does that have any, by any chance, any influence on the name Discord that Ian MacKay picked up on? Well, Discord, I think where he he gets it from is the guitar, yeah, musical thing mixed in with Washington D.C. 
Right. I was just curious if that was something. I'm wondering. I don't know. I never asked him about it. I I was on tour in Europe about seven, eight years ago, and I saw, I think it was a Romanian trucking company, and they were called Discordian. Wow. I couldn't believe that. I don't know if they know about this stuff. But, I mean, this this goes way back. So what I'm trying to say is, we kind of like John Coltrane trying to jump forward with those young guys at, at the end of his life, but he's still mm-hmm. standing on the sh- shoulders of Lester Young and Coleman Hawkins, Charlie Parker. That's yeah. kind of what the Minutemen was. We kind of okay. had fundamental stuff of people going back to the 30s even, you know, those kind of struggles. Even going back to Walt Whitman with the Leaves of Grass, right? He's going to put out 12 poems himself to try to stop the Civil War. I see Minutemen in that kind of tradition. And like what you're talking about, talking about uh, uh, bringing up issues yeah. that are important, but then trying to right. work it in with artistic expression. Yeah. I, I see it's as still, part of this expression, sorry. but then still trying to be part of the now. Going to yeah. gigs up in Hollywood, yeah. You know, SoCal is like 150 towns, but we don't know any of the other towns. so balkanized and shit. So it was trippy yeah. on a lot of levels, Pierre. But what really surprises me, Mike, is that it's not that obvious for kids who are trying to express themselves and who are intelligent like you guys were and who are reading a lot and know a lot about history. It's not an obvious move to put tons of really um, really clear political statements into your music and say, here's what's going on, here's what we don't agree with. Not everybody else did that, even in the movement. I think you guys were pretty specific with that. And that really- well, the pop group did really, it. They had a big influence on us. Pop group were very overt. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I said, D. Boone called it Thinking Out Loud, and I think that's the greatest thing. I mean, that was on our mind. 1980, when Minutemen started, uh, yeah. later that year is when Ron Regan is uh, elected. Yeah. So, you know, this one, I, I did, uh, Jimmy Carter lost him. I, I uh, t- uh, actually, and then later on, Walter Mondale lost to him for the second one. And this is when I become independent. I, it was just, you know, kind of frustrating thing. D. Boom was very upset with the situation. Uh, so, yeah. so was I in Latin America. And this yeah. kind of weird kind of imperialist kind of crap. And, yeah. and so, and, and then Georgie too. And you could, although Georgie wrote a lot of his words while he was at work, you could still see the anxiety of our situation, yeah. and we we're just trying to, yeah. you know, part of the Minutemen words was part of the music, especially with me with my songwriting. I'd have to start with even a song title because I, I, I was worried about track house and making all the songs sound the same. So I used the words to try to give. Uh, variety to them things so these these ideas that my bandmates had and myself mm-hmm. that's what i would try to capture as the es- essence to keep the, g- give these songs their own lives so it didn't seem like some as- boilerplate assembly line xerox cookie cutter shit you know but i find it fascinating that you guys were clearly feeling that political an- anxiety at the time which is real like it you found that it affected you we never wrote songs as teenagers before the movement we, yeah. we didn't know anybody in Pedro who wrote songs. 
Yeah. The, the, the guy who was the best on guitar played Black Dog the best. Music was never made aware to us as a means to express things. Yeah. Then when we saw these cats up in Hollywood doing it, we got infected by it. Yeah. Okay, then also there was a record store on the way to college in Long Beach, it was called Zeta London's. So that was another way we, we were exposed to the movement because we never got to see hardly any of those bands. I remember mm. the fall came once with Blurt, but most of those bands and the jam came once, uh, the whiskey, and Stranglers too, but a lot of those bands, they were only good for their first record and they just turned into warmed over, tired rock and roll, you know, uh, like arena rock kind of rock and roll, not Little Richard rock and roll. So th I think a lot of things were happening at the same time, Pierre. Also this idea of you being part of the process, this was mm -hmm. no, no, nowhere even mentioned in the arena rock thing. You were just total spectator. There wasn't yeah. this shit where, you know, you could see Pat Smear up there playing and then when the next band comes on, this guy's standing next to you and you can talk right. to him. I mean, there was no kind of thing like that in Arena Rock. So this, sure. there was a lot of this shit that was simultaneous. Then Greg Ginn teaching us, you know, hey, if you want an Apple jacket printed, you just pay the printer. You yeah. don't have to win the sucker boy lotto and be part of the fucking Pantheon right. of Mount Olympus to d deliver the good time. You know, this <laughs> this whole thing. Well, he he... We learned out, even though he's 15 miles away, we don't know fucking Hermosa Beach. I mean, that could be another yeah. universe as far as we concerned. But when we met him, we found out when he's a teenager, he did ham radio. So he mm. was used to connecting with people in different towns. Yeah, I think only the Dills had a van. None of them Hollywood punk bands thought about touring. That was big time Greg Ginn idea. One of the things you do is you make, you kind of have your own way of talking and you make up, you know, you have your own language. One of the things you say is working bass. You've been working the bass like your, your whole life pretty much, not playing the bass. And I feel like the working class, the working class that you guys came from was something to be proud of and also something that was a part of your politics. But I feel like now, I know this is a long question, but I feel like the politics of the working class have shifted to the right. And I wonder if you have thought about that and how that happened. You know, the Nazis were, I think the first name was Working Party or something. And maybe Adolf Hitler was spying for the bullet's eye on him, you know. Right. It's not a new thing. There's been all kinds of attempts to try to, you know, fool people with... What my pop say? You can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. <laughs> and uh, so there's always been this, I guess, struggle for the hearts and minds of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> authenticism, you know, keeping it real. Which is yeah. funny about the arts, you know. You think about John Fogarty, very Northwest Bayou. But, the, 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 you know, yeah, Josh Hawley talking about the suits. You know, that's hilarious versus, you know, I guess he, he voted for the sick pay. He's a, stu he's a fuckhead from uh, Missouri. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that state or the people living there. No, I know, I know. It's just that it's part of that whole thing where they're co-opting. Yeah, they're absolutely. Co -opting okay, it. then you answer your own question, I think. 
Yeah. And I we, just... we realized that. Look, look, what do you think the fucking name Minutemen? Okay, D. Boone asked me for a list of names, like he did with Reactionary, same thing. So I got this big list of names, and I actually had two words because I was making fun of us at in Arena Rock as minute man. And D. <laughs> Boone said, no, man, put both those words together because there's these assholes since the 30s trying to appropriate patriotic symbols. That's amazing. And we can dilute this shit. Now, this ends up happening to the Minutemen later in the 90s with these assholes. I mean, they destroy themselves with embezzlement, Ku Klux Klan shit, but uh, guarding the border, uh, supposedly guarding the border is some kind of militia. Oh, yeah. But, right. but this is what D. Boone's idea was. Like, we call ourselves Minutemen, not my new Well, it's man. like the Tea Party. It's like the Tea Party, Mike. They took that name, Okay, too, you know, so like it's a Patriots. fight over... So, Pierre, yeah. maybe it's more of a fight over semantics or some shit. Right. In a way, it is, but it's... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because their basic agenda ain't about that, helping out the working men. No, it's not. No fucking way. You know, if you think about it, the Minutemen, the Ma's were really involved... And the pops were all three, you know, from the working place. So, uh, in a way, we were just, you know, it's kind of where we were at. We weren't, uh, we, Jeremy Connell, let's put it this way. It wasn't just some slogan. I mean, right. <laughs> so we got it happening. Exactly. You had to. You had to make it happen the way. Yeah, yeah but the movement afforded. I also think technology was moving more to a point. I mean, it's a, to a point now where people can record themselves. Yeah. You can be really kind. Well, yeah. Everybody can have their own website, which to me is like everybody can have their own fanzine. Exactly. I was exactly going to say that. That's it's, so, so you it's can come do more circle. with the uh, the internet and also collaborate and trade and files. You can use the yeah. internet for more than just spread lies and hate. You can there's, you know, there's a lot of duality with human endeavor. You, yeah. you know, think of the, the the pocket knife. You know, is it really about? You know, like the gear, right? You're talking to people about music and they want to talk to you all day about fucking gear. To me, it's what is going to be carved with that fucking knife, that pocket knife. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where the art is. So that's what I think we were trying to build with the Minutemen. I remember D. Boone saying to me once, you know what would be a good go? And I said, what? Like, we could play anything and it would still be the Minutemen. Music is music. Like, D. Boone was getting into this thing that was John where was a fucking gulag. There's Berlin Wall yeah. inside her heads and wanted to get free of that shit. In the tomb of Enoch In the queen's chamber She Guarding the holy pupil Well, that was always what attracted me to the Minutemen. Because it was not stuck in the... Well, that's what we were... Uh, we caught up in the work. Like, uh, we... Uh, I learned... And D. Boone, you know, he knew how to paint and stuff, but we didn't really know art history. And, and, and Raymond Pettibone teaches... He first played me about John Coltrane, but he taught us about this thing during the First World War called Dada. And this kind of art uh, movement thing. And then, anyway, before Dada, we learned something called Futurist. And after that, something called Surrealist. And just all this way... It seems a lot of this stuff, whatever, visual or audio movements, were preceded by these literary writing, you know, which made yeah. sense with the fanzines, you know, slash, flip side. The fl and also around the country, you know, uh, Tim Yohannan with his uh, Maximum Rock and Roll and, uh, 
you know, yeah. Andy Schwartz and his uh, rocket, New York rocker, and all. I mean, all over the. It was the fabric to connect us, you know, without having it, it to be a fucking boot on your throat. That's what's well, neat about fucking yeah, liberation art. One thing I think is different now, though. I mean, the internet is kind of bringing things full circle. But one thing I think is different no, it's is not. I'm not saying it has brought it full circle. I'm okay. saying the possibilities were always there, right. but people fucking ran away and went to their herd mentality and flocked to shitter and fake look and instant ham. <laughs> yeah, all these corporate, you know, I, I can understand stapling up flyers on the AT&T telephone pole just sure. to get the word out, but to have your whole existence, right? that's right. ridiculous. And that's what the whole idea yeah. of the the fancy that's the whole idea of the watch from pedro show 21 years seven months i've been doing this yeah now, the whole idea of autonomy right well that's what i was going to ask you is that it seems like people are not afraid of selling out selling out is not a bad word anymore i mean i just remember when i was they did it back a then kid, it was it was the worst thing you could do yeah but a lot of people it. did it a lot of people did it and they would say another thing but i'd see them tie it remember i did 14 years at columbia I saw these guys tie the puppet strings to their hands and then all cry when they didn't win the sucker boy lotto and couldn't be the fake royalty for that week. <laughs> and the way I looked at it was like, you know, me using a pay phone, you know, AT&T, not too indie of a phone company, but just as long as they didn't jump on the line, I wasn't going to hang up. Same with the <laughs> freeway. Notice the freeway is a military structure. Okay. But then we can use it for touring. Yeah. I mean, the duality can work other ways than just, you know, you our, our weaker forms of our human nature. It could also be an end around, you know, what, 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 yeah. what's the Bible uh, sword plowshare kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that that spirit is not as strong these days. It might not uh, be. It might not be. All I can do is give you what, because it seemed like you wanted some insights to what the Minutemen were about. Oh, yeah, totally. But I also well, want to... That's what I'm trying to bring. I can't really make an excuse for what's happening today. But there, I've got to tell you, there was a lot of bullshit, especially in the, in the 70s, a lot of narcissism. I'll tell you, Pierre, a kid today will listen to a 50-year-old band, Black Sabbath, no problem. We wouldn't mm -hmm. listen to a band that was five years old. I remember that Woodstock movie, and Sha Now Now comes on, and like, fuck this, my dad's music, you know. They're yelling yeah. at a movie screen, right? Yeah. You don't want to get uh, 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 trapped in phony sentimentalism because those were days were bad, too. And maybe yeah. even worse in some ways because, yeah, you didn't have the means, it was really hard uh, to, to to get ideas around and network and stuff like that. It was much tougher in those days. I think there's a lot of great stuff happening now, and people are really making it happen. And, part, and that actually brings me to your show. You are a total uh, explorer of music, and you find so much cool stuff that is out there. How do you find stuff? How do you keep it? fresh for yourself and find stuff all the time people got fr you know people ask me about the old days and i say it was about people you know chuck mm -hmm. dukowski's phone book right that's he's how i'm still torn on that same circuit you know yeah 
Yeah. I mean, we don't do 100 gig tours like Black Flag, but we we learned a lot from them cats. <laughs> and actually, yeah. they were taken from vaudeville, working the towns, right? You know, I mean, when, when people, there was no centralized way of doing media, so you actually had to go to their town when they had time off from the factory or the farm so they could come. Yeah. And, you know, Franz Kafka watching Yiddish theater. I mean, it's, it's all about people. And so that's how what happens here with Walk Pedro Show. Some cats are on the show. They got buddies. They tell me, you know, just like in the old days, how you got gigs. Just how, like yeah. how you put on gigs, how you put together bands. What fucking band started at Arena Rock Show? And how many bands started at a club gig? It's about people rapping with each other. And so that's how I've done it. Yeah. 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 You keep your you keep your curiosity going strong. It's really it's really inspiring. I think. Well, it's man, cool. the cats I met in the, especially in the beginning days of the movement were incredible. You know, I only knew Pedro when I came from Virginia to Pedro. When mm -hmm. my, my pop was in the mach, uh, machinist mate in the Navy, so we got Vietnam is closer to here, so we got orders. And I come. Mm -hmm. All I knew was people here in the harbor. And then I go up to Hollywood and start seeing these gigs, and I'm meeting these trippy cats. But man, they knew a lot of, you could tell socially a little backward, couldn't fit in so well. But man, were they deep into music, you know? And I learned so much. Yeah, when Raymond played me Ascension, I thought it was the germs. We had just saw the germs. I thought it was, what, I knew this guy was a little older. I didn't know he's dead. I knew nothing about bebop. I mean, these guys, they learned me so much. A lot of these cats in that scene, and no one was afraid. I think it was like Charlie Man before Charlie Manson, and, and when you had long hair and people could trust you, because you, it, you got so much shit for being part of this movement that if you were <laughs> into it, people, you know, automatically yeah. thought you were cool, and they would like talk to you and learn you shit. Well, I'm still infected. It's still, and it's not sentimental. It, uh, what would you call it? Kind of not just aesthetics, but ethics too. Yeah, for sure. And you're, but you're also you continue to play with new people all the time, and it's just it's so amazing to see all your projects and how they keep evolving. And you have a you have a core of people you play with, but then you show up with some new people. I saw a video last night of you i was watching going on youtube uh, this drummer was blowing my mind nick aguilar you played with yeah well but yeah me georgie d boo went to high school with his pop this guy's seven months short of 40 years younger than me wow And Raul was just having his daughter, Soph Paloma, so he couldn't tour. And I yeah. called him the big man. He's 22 years old when he toured with me, same age as when the Minutemen started. Wow, he is mind-blowing. That's why I say there's some progress. It's not all bad new days. Absolutely, That would have never happened 100%. when I was a teenager. People would have thought there was some perversion going on or just rock and roll was not supposed to be old dudes, right? There was this ageism kind of thing. Yeah. It's so great to see you guys play together. I, well, that brings me up, brings up a point, which is you've played with so many incredible drummers in your in your career. George uh, Hurley. Well, George Hurley is my favorite personally, but you know you played with with uh, Dave Grohl. Jim oh Keller, yeah, Dave Grohl, I mean, incredible uh, drummer. 
uh, Stephen Perkins. I mean, so many. Steve but Perkins, I'm just, great. Yeah. Incredible. Amazing. Love I love it. that Banyan project. That was Banyan. so cool, Banyan. Banyan, that's his band. Banyan, yeah. Me, him, and, and Nels Klein was the core, and that was an incredible project. super cool. We got yeah. to make three uh, albums together. My question was going to be, what's, um, you know, what do you look for? Like, you're the you're the drummer. I mean, you're the bass player. You're playing with the drummer. You're the rhythm section. What's your thing that you look for? When That's the something where I've been moving the bass towards. People say four-string guitar. I think the bass is more a four-string drum set. Interesting. Yeah, I'm moving more and more that way. Uh, I mean, but what do you look here, for? Here's the look? future of the bass, I see. And, and drummers, too. Big mistake Minuteman made was having George Hurley in the back. In the last 20 years, I've had all my drummers downstage, right at the lip. That's cool. I see both instruments being more and more as a composition tool. Why do they have to come in last? Why can't they be first? And then the melodic instruments are free to find their own harmonic way. But then I think there's more of an honest collaboration. Yeah, it's true, but I mean the bass is a harmonic and rhythmic instrument. So yeah, we're in we're we're worlds. in between. We're still mysterious. We're tr still finding out about ourselves. <laughs> I, I was I invited a couple months ago on the Dodger radio station here, you know, because one of the guys is from Pedro, and uh, you know they're not going to ask me the most sophisticated musical stuff. But one of the cats, a guy named Money, says, "What? You know, for us, explain what are you trying to do with the bass." I said, you know, the closest note to me, Money, on the stage is the kick drum. He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm trying to get the bass to do a dance with that kick drum. That's fantastic. That's so cool. And whatever it takes, right? Probably yeah. a lot of notes is not going to do it, right? You got to find the right notes. You got to find the right rhythm. You got to find the right space. They got to do this thing I call playing the holes. Like you're almost setting it up for the cats. But still mm. not realizing it because it's improvised. It's in the making. Like yeah. uh, J Jack Wright told me, you got to jump from the pole. Jump <laughs> away from the safety pole. Yeah, that's great. Well, that kind of, you know, that brings up improvising, which there's so much improvising in in punk rock that people don't really realize, especially in a lot, a lot of the stuff you've been involved in. It's like, it's not just verse, chorus, verse, here's the next part. Throbbing gristle, yeah. DNA, I mean, it goes way back. Do you have a, a trick for if, if improv, improvisation's not really going anywhere, you want to you spark it up? Lay out. What do you... Lay out. Lay out. I think, I think, a you know, I just finished my, almost done with the sixth John Coltrane biography. This one's Eric Neeson. God, he spends like 100 pages on fusion at the end. It's so weird. But anyway... <laughs> In those yeah. old days, they the, the slang word was, because you were talking about your own language, it's slang, right? I think yeah. every movement gets slang. Now, everybody in Pedro don't talk like me. And a, a lot of it, George Hurley, very uh, inventive with that, but also in, in our, you know, our version of punk, right? But anyway, in those days, what I found out from these books, they call it stroll, take a stroll. Mm -hmm. And it was usually the piano player. I guess yeah. too much notes, too... Notice Ornette Coleman had no piano player. <laughs> so, so. Was strolling good or bad? Strolling is when you're overplaying. No, because you're notes. asking me this question. What do you do when it looks like it's not yeah, going yeah. anywhere? And this is why, when I remember doing this uh, 
recording session with Nels Klein. He had 36 pedals. I said, Nels, what's your favorite pedal? He said, the volume one. Because he's the one who said improvising is about listening. So I think if you hit the roadblock or you hit the Berlin Wall or wherever the fuck it is, yeah, lay out and let the dust settle and maybe you can get the second win, the next rally going, right? Let's get a rally, pally. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. It's a weird kind of, you know, I ask my guests a lot about this to improvise on the show. The big question to me is who goes first? Right. Who goes first? Because then you're setting the tone. Yeah, maybe you're displaying some of persona. Are you like the fucking shot collar deep down? Are you the fucking make it be so, you know, nurturer? Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. That's what's so much fun about it. Well, okay, okay. Let's say we got these kind of roles that we could... That's what life's about. And this is what I've tried to do with the bass, too. Taking turns. Usually, if my name is in the proj name, I'm giving the direction. Mm-hmm. Me and my missing man, me and my second man, right? For the second opera, from the third opera. I'm asking yeah. Raul and Tom to do this. I'm asking Pizzo and Jared to do this. Mm-hmm. Stooges, I'm taking the direction, right? You Usually, yeah. in those situations, Jay Maskus... Uh, porno for pyros, uh, Tab Falco, mm-hmm. Flipper. Yeah, I'm taking the place of the dead guy, and I'm learning those parts. Okay? <laughs> then there's the sure. straight-up collaboration thing with the Italian guys. I'll show you to my Nile, right? I you love hear, that project Fratello so Mike, much, man. Fratello Mike, you write a third. Fratello Andrea, you write a third. Fratello Stay, you write a third. Okay. Right? What do you mean? What do you mean? What does that mean, you write a third? You come in. You come in with your tunes. With a third oh, of the you. two. You're right, a third of the In project. fact, the drummer you. man, Fratello Andrea, he made fucking MIDI demos where he would write the bass parts and the guitar parts for us. Okay? How did you meet those but guys? Now, I love that now, project. It's now I've beautiful. learned a fourth way. Yeah. And this is the way I've been doing with Mike Baguetta and MSSV. This is a man oh, yeah. 20 years younger. It's his band. Okay. He's writing me bass. I've ne- not even D. Boone wrote me bass parts. I've never had... You know, when I help somebody, I usually learn the dead guy's bass parts. I didn't have the guy write bass parts for me. So this is a new way. I found a fourth way. Now, how did I meet the Italian guys for El Sonio de Marinaio? They met me. The guitar man, Stefano Paglia, he was a helper man on my uh, second opera tour of Italy for five, Mm. six gigs. And I got an email from him seven, eight years after that. Hey, you want to come... Play with me and my buddy. You know, like meeting yeah. somebody at a club, just an invite. Okay. And they're in Italy. Yeah, Bologna. Bologna. That's a beautiful project. Yeah, we finished the third album. We're we're, we're kind of tribute, Sevens, for a musician friend of ours we just lost. But, yeah, that's why I'm saying there's some really good things about the Internet. I mean, this would have been impossible to do in Minutemen days. Yeah. But, man, Pierre, I'm never going to be able to grow up with a guy again. I can't pretend that ever is going to exist. So I want to be in the moment. But then I learned some bitching things with D. Boone that I never want to forget. But I don't want to fucking... Fonzie, Potsy, I mean, that, that was those dudes looked 50 years old. I mean, and I remember my pop scene. Those were not fucking happy days. I don't want to be part of that <laughs> kind of bullshit. But there was good things I learned back in those old days. The way, though, I know they're good 
is because they can work in these days without it being sentimental or nostalgic. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to do any more of that where you play the Minuteman stuff and you go out on tour. No, they're it. not Minuteman stuff. They're Mike Watts songs I wrote for the Minuteman. I don't oh, play gotcha. Georgie songs. I don't play D. Boone songs because I think that's too much of a dick leech. But I do write play songs I wrote for those guys so people can see how my arc is. Yeah. How, how, is, how hyphenated, man, even though it was all those years later, you could see how I was informed by being a younger Minuteman. For sure. Absolutely. What does one reporter's opinion mean? Did you write that? Yeah, it's a watch song. Welcome your romantic to Mike White. He's only a skeleton. His body is a series of points. Though high, lang, or weird. I only play the songs where I wrote both the music and the words. And I wrote That's both amazing, of those there. There's, there was yeah, a reporter... On the news here, god damn, I can't remember his name, but that's the way he ended all his, uh, or he had a column or some shit. One reporter's yeah. opinion where he wasn't like uh, talking about a story, he was giving an opinion. Okay. And I thought that was so hilarious that he'd have to preface, preface that. So yeah. I thought, like I said, the way I, I write songs is, especially Double Nickels, that was hard because we had a... We had an album done, and then the Hooskers came to do Zen Arcade, so we had to write a buttload of songs. So I, I was just putting them out there. So, yeah, I, I, I thought, well, why not I have an opinion about myself? And I was just going back to playing bass again with my fingers. So it was very difficult for me to do that with the words. So I asked E. Boone... In fact, I think I only do one spiel, like Politics of Time. All the rest where I wrote words, I asked D. Yeah. Boone to do the spiel because I couldn't play. I hadn't got good enough yet back on my fingers to do spiel and fingers at the same time. Wait, were you playing with a pick before that? Or you, you yeah, pick I, or used from, pick I used from Paranoid Time, the first record, all the way up to... There's one song on Double Nickels called Shit From an Notepad. That's the last time I use a pick. Until I okay. helped Jay Maskus with Jay Maskus in the Fog 17 years later. But it took me time to adjust. Yeah, oh. Buzzer Howl Under the Influence of Heat is the last record where I play all pick. That's all pick, okay. Interesting. Punk and was you, too fast for me. Punk was too fast, so I couldn't use yeah. fingers yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's if, if I had my way, Pierre, I'd want to do both because it's just more vocab. I hear you. So do you use your, but you mostly, I see you mostly using your fingers. Yeah, but I wish I could still do pig. Well, what's stopping you? Because if you don't use it, it's it's hard to do. You lose it. Oh, pick, you've got to hold the pick. The thing with fingers is you, you can actually physically lay your fingers on the string. You can't right. do that with a pick. The pick, you got to train yourself how far away to be your hand. Yeah. And that comes from doing. You can't just intellectually gotcha. put it in your mind. you got to practice that way. Or you get all cut up in the palm and, and, and shitty playing. Yeah, you got to practice it. That's interesting. I would never have thought. So that reminds that brings me to to slapping, which you know when you guys I did that in fire hose. Well, you also did it in Minutemen in a way, unless you not were just so plucking. much. I did it more okay. like Larry Graham kind of okay. slapping, but more, a lot of it was still more picking. I really oh, get okay. into the slap thing. I think with fire hose, like a song called yeah. "Hear Me." Mm -hmm. 
But I tried to play that way again when Firehose did 10 gigs in 2012, and I couldn't do it. For me, okay. bass has been a journey, and my body, yeah, there's certain things I can't do again, and it just hurts. And what yeah. I found out is if you want to keep doing this, you have to adjust and evolve. Sure. And so maybe you can't go back to those old ways of playing. You can play the same song, though, but maybe you got to play it different ways. Do you have certain things you do to stay healthy, like on tour? Because touring all that much is, is not easy. Well, the, the chow, speaking. you got to watch out with the chow. So I, I do a lot of salads. I do a lot of soup. Okay. Not much of else of the other stuff. Yeah, uh, but you also. You got to, I'll tell you what really helped my hands, where I don't even have to use ibuprofen or any kind of like uh, anti inflammatory thing. Mm -hmm. Cut down the sugar. Mm. And sugar's not right. just in the booze and candy bars. It's also in the rice and the pasta and the bread. Right, carbohydrates, yeah. Well, certain kinds. You get your carbohydrates from the brock, from the cauliflower. You know, yeah. you still need carbohydrates. You can't cut them out. Just watch those fucking yeah, simple you ones. Yeah, for sure, yeah. That fructose then, shit. I tell you, the biggest improvement came also to my weight. You know, I've been 170 since the situation started, since I, I cut down on this. Because I started the same exercise regimen since 1995 when I got a bicycle again. I didn't pedal a bicycle for 22 years. It's not yeah. just the exercise. You got to watch the diet. You got to watch these fucking simple sugars. Yeah. And they sure. also hurt your joints exactly that's what i was going to say and fish oil is really good for that i don't know if you you're into i that, eat i eat fish every other day salmon yeah yeah you want the omega threes not the omega sixes omega sixes are in those fucking seed oils those trans fats stay away from that shit right I, i'm yeah, telling you I'm not, I'm not trying to get all weird out into some like extremist kind of thing you need fats you need proteins you need carbohydrates you just don't want the shitty kind and a lot of it is these simple sugars this has really helped me out yeah, also yeah. the thing is not about being strong like muscle bound ways it's about being li limber and loose so i got right. even though i got fucked up me and that's gotta get repaired this machine yeah. called an elliptical trainer it's something in your house. Your feet don't right. ever have to leave the pedals, so there's no slap in the ground. There's no hurt on your joints. But mm -hmm. you can still build up a sweat. You can hang on so you don't have to worry about falling down. You can get the heart up. I do half hour every day. You know, I used to do uh, kayak. I used to do bicycle. Well, I was going to say. I can't do yeah, because of my body, anymore. Well, because of the, my situation, my knee. I tell you, life's a journey. You adjust yeah. to it. You adjust to it. You, do you don't you give do. in. You just adjust to it, and you make... Uh, on terms with it you know just like working the room you know with a gig you don't play every room the same you don't play a the, the the civic hall the same way you do harold's place you know the biker bar and you you just you know you so are you going to go back out at, at some point i mean yeah the next tour is going to be the fall tour 2023 with msv sv we're going to uh tour the second album that's already recorded mixed and all that shit that's the Baguetta project? But I'm not going to tour until then because I got this wrecked knee. I got to get it fixed. Okay. Well, that's cool. I, I, so, I, I qualify in two weeks for two weeks t tomorrow for Medicare. Okay. Well, there you go. That's some socialism. <laughs> that's some American socialism right there, right? Thank Working God. for you.
Yeah, exactly. That's why I love, I, it cracks me up when people, you know, the knuckleheads did bandy that word about socialism. Because like they're drinking you know, the Kool-Aid, man. Right, yeah. They treat they it no like sports. It they just want to get on the team they think is winning. They're not really checking out the consequences of that rhetoric. Right. It's like sports, exactly. I mean, I was born in France and I moved here from France at a young age, seven. So socialism is not a bad word. I've seen it, you know, seen it in action and it, and it works. <laughs> Democratic socialism. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, a lot of, a lot of human stuff is mixtures and it's spectrums. And this shit about, you know, even Vincent painted with a spectrum. Yeah, there was a lot of yellows. <laughs> but yeah. man, that guy could get an eye with one or two strokes. That dude was right. Econo. Yeah, he was painting every day. Yeah. You know, the, no one is in the doing. And if you want to know what's good about what you're talking about, it's in the doing. What does it do for people? Right. Right? Yeah. That's the test, Pierre. When it's up in the fucking bullshit zone... You know, rhetoric, uh, fake look, shit, or whatever. You know, there's no consequences. So you got people talking horse shit. I think that we live in a culture where celebrities' uh, opinions really have a lot of value. And I think that people like you who are out there doing it, talking, playing, are really important because you got to change people's minds somehow. You got to educate people. You feel a responsibility to do that, or you just. The, well, look, that's kind of the role of the bass in the band. Hmm. Yeah, you got to glue so. the drums together with the rest of the people. Yeah. No, in a way, I see the parallel. I, I'll never, never, never. Stop thanking D Boone's ma for putting me on base. I didn't even know what the fuck they, that the first day I meet her, right? The second day I meet D Boone. So you're gonna have a band yeah. and you're gonna play bass. I didn't even fucking know what it is. But man, a lot of my life relates about this machine. And I ain't even talking the five string one. Oh, by the way, do you ever use like six string basses or? Have no, you but I'm, I'm, I'm planning about maybe checking out a five string. What a B B string would be like. And what about upright? Do you ever? I did that? try that in the '90s. In fact, there's a project I made a seven inch for Kill Rock Stars just to make myself learn it. It was too hard on my hands. Yeah, the, the 41 inch scale and uh, uh, the action was so high. Yeah, and but it is a beautiful. Goddamn, Paul Chambers. Get to yeah. see Mr. Ray Brown, Cecil McBee, be, beautiful inspirations. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, Charles Mingus, even though he never composed, he composed on piano. There's something about that woody tone. Something about yeah. that string. Yeah, there's something about it that's just so bitchy. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, you hear the room so much. There's so much of the room in it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, you got something else because I got another spiel coming up. So. Oh, sorry, man. I don't want no, to feed you. Yeah, I just wanted no, to tell I, you. I love talking to you, Pierre. Don't worry. I'm likewise, man. Well, I just want to tell you one thing. I saw you. I saw the Minutemen at the Golden Bear. I think I was 1983. I was 13, and I went with a friend of mine. Right on the beach, front. right? PCA. Yeah, right on the beach, Golden Bear. And it 
we went and we got there late. We and we sat in the front row and table, and then a guy came and sat next to us at the table because it was the only seat left, and it was D Boone, and he sat next to me, watched the opening band, and my and I have never been the same since that moment. Then I saw you guys get on stage, and I was about ten feet away, and I was a thirteen year old kid, and it just changed my life and i've never been the same since you know so thank D. you Boone reminds me ig when he, those guys play a gig they play it like it might be their last gig they're very inspiring to me those guys yeah they're, i love it pair two they really know how to work a room man the the the, the values you don't take music for granted you don't take gigs for granted you don't take that 13 year old kid you were just sitting with for granted mm. you work your fucking heart out for him I love that about Deep Boone. I I owe him so much for that. Well, you're continuing that tradition and so fantastic, man. Thank you for all the great music that you made. Right back at you. I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. We keep on keeping on. Big love. Thank you for listening to my spiel with the wise, talented, and generous Mike Watt. If you enjoyed this, please listen to my interviews with other great musicians on previous episodes of Pierre Pressure on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or any other telephone poll that serves you up your podcast. And please rate and subscribe. It really helps me out. Check out all of Mike Watts' news and music on hootpage.com, H-O-O-T-P-A-G-E.com. And listen to The Watt from Pedro Show, which you can find at TWFPS.com. Please visit my website, PierreDeGuyon.com. You can also find me on Fake Look and Instant Ham to see my upcoming concerts and interviews. I've never been on Shitter and don't plan on it. If you're hearing this in January of 2023, Happy New Year. Please come see my band's Body Kite, Bad Reputation, and Mellow Main on the East Coast in the coming months. I'm also planning upcoming Bad Reputation tours in Canada as well as Kuwait. So if you're in either of those places, look out for us. Thanks again for listening. Vive la résistance. Peace. Peace.